In Between Sunday's Singles, episode number two. You're listening to In Between Sundays, where we give you the essentials to live in the world outside of church. From your first job after college to becoming the CEO, this is a podcast for the other six days of the week. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of In Between Sundays. This is Nick coming at you from Kansas City. I am uh, currently in Kansas City, and we'll talk about why in a little bit here. Um, Pat is out. He's not able to be here for this episode, which is why I'm doing a singles episode. And uh, I'd just like to, first of all, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. And I am excited because we have an interview with an amazing author. His name is Tom Doran, and he wrote a book called Toward the Gleam. And we're going to play that interview uh, for this show. And it's going to become your favorite book this summer. So I can't wait to play that. We have a Catholic challenge and we have some news. So uh, welcome to In Between Sundays. Glad to have you here. Let's go ahead and get started. Now, as I mentioned, uh, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm recording this from Kansas City. So people who are listeners to this show for a little while uh, know that I have typically been recording shows from Chicago because that's where I'm living at the moment. But uh, I'd like to explain why I'm in Kansas City. And for that, I need to talk about my three J's. Tell us your junk, your joy, and your Jesus. So our three J's are a great way of being able to recollect your week or the end of your day and kind of offer to God your faults, your frustrations, and the things that brought you closer to him. So um, so we have our junk, which is, of course, our faults or things that were frustrating, our joy, which are things that kind of got us out of bed for the day, and our Jesus moment, which are things that bring us closer to God. So First off, my junk has been flying back and forth between Kansas City and Chicago. I'm actually in Kansas City uh, working on some business stuff, uh, actually working on a, um, a project for the new translation of the Roman Missal, which I'll be talking about on a future show. I'm getting ready to uh, help my company launch that. And uh, my so I'm, it's, been, it's been good. It's not really junk that I've been working on this project, but junk that I've been flying back and forth to... Uh, and so I've been away from Chicago, away from basically home. So And I miss my bike. I can't wait to get back to Chicago to ride my bike. So I, I'm really looking forward to getting back this weekend to do that. My joy has been the warm weather. Anybody who listened to the last show realized that we had, we've had really, really cold weather in Chicago, just bitterly cold, and even all the way through the end of May, it was just cold, cold, cold. And the heat was on all the way through the end of May. So I cannot wait for it to be warm in Chicago so once again I can get out and ride my bike. I have this new bike, and I, I can't wait to use it, so I'm, I'm so excited for it. My third J, my Jesus moment, is actually getting to do this show. And I know that sounds cliche to say that, but really, I, I'm so excited. I haven't done a show in a month, and so I've been really looking forward to doing this show and sharing this interview. So um, thank you so much again for listening. Thank you if you have been waiting for a show for quite a while. Uh, my apologies uh, that I'm still working on getting back on. Um, another schedule where I can do shows on a, on a weekly or on a bi-weekly basis. So, but I am so excited to play this interview with, with Tom Duran. So let's go ahead and get into talking about that interview. I fall on the night, can't get 
she falls in a well, eyes go cross, she gets kicked by a mule, they go back to normal. At the end of this day, one shall stand, one shall fall. You better say your prayers, you flea-bitten varmint! Okay, so uh, Tom Dorn has wrote this great book called Toward the Gleam, and I've been reading it, and it's it's fantastic. If you are a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or any of those kind of mystery genres that they wrote in, you will like this book. And I just want to play his interview, and we talked about all sorts of really great stuff. Um, there was some stuff that we couldn't talk about because we didn't want to ruin the, the book for you or spoil the ending. Um, so uh, we, we tried to stay away from, from talking too much about the plot, but... Um, I think he did a really great job of explaining the book and explaining how the book um, is written. So um, take a listen, and I really hope you decide to go out and get this, and it'll be great to hear your feedback if you've already read it. Well, this is Nick, and I am uh, on the phone today with Tom Dorn. He's the author of a new book out from Ignatius Press called Toward the Gleam. Uh, Good afternoon, Tom, and how are you? Good afternoon, Nick. I am uh, fine. I'm doing very well. Well, very good. Well, I, I've been reading through your book and been absolutely enjoying it. Your writing is, is absolutely fantastic. So, first of all, thank you for writing this, this incredible book. Well, you're welcome. It was really a labor of love. Uh, it was both a labor and, and uh, it was a labor of love, too. So, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole process of researching and writing the book. Now, how long did it take you to put this book together? Well, in one sense, it took me over 20 years, and that was in the sense of, of reading and studying uh, the history and uh, the personalities of that period in time, the 20th century, uh, but actually working on the book itself a little over five years. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, for people who may, aren't familiar with the book or the storyline, um, give, give us a, a quick description of the book and uh, what, 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 what the feel is and what the kind of the, the general plot is. Well, the, the story follows a man by the name of John Hill from early manhood to old age. And that period is from World War I to about the 1970s. Um, but mostly as a younger man in the 1920s and 30s. And unexpectedly, uh, John Hill discovers something pretty remarkable that affects the rest of his life. And it also causes him to seek out people that he thinks may be able to help him understand what this thing is. And uh, as it turns out, uh, many of these people are helpful and some are not so helpful. Okay. Now, uh it seems to me, with the way the book is written and kind of the direction things are going, that it's, it, it really is a, a great exploration of some of the things, kind of moral quandaries we've got in, gotten into over the, over the 20th century. Is that, is that kind of what you were going at with some of the explorations that John goes through? Definitely. I, uh, I was really looking, in putting this book together, I was trying to put a puzzle together. And one of the, the pieces of that puzzle was um, my interest in uh, the 20th century and also many of the giants, um, whom I'm calling the giants in that century, 
that opposed uh, a lot of the crooked ideas uh, that came about in the 20th century. So that was that was an important puzzle piece, along with this this lifelong affection um, for the Lord of the Rings, the Narnia, the Perilandra stories, also the Father Brown mysteries. That was another one. And uh, maybe another piece was I've had a lifelong uh, love for classic mysteries and the mystery genre. So I really wanted to, to write a suspenseful, uh, even baffling mystery story on its own merits. And then I would say lastly, Nick, it was uh, going back uh, 10 years or so ago, I had an urge to write a counterpoint to stories like The Da Vinci Code. Um, I wanted to, to try my hand at a story that featured transcendent rather than outrageous ideas. So those, all of those things were, were, were working together, and uh, eventually the puzzle pieces came together and Toward the Gleam was written. Now, um, as I've been reading this, it's been real interesting because I've, it's not something that you can really um, just kind of sit down and identify some of the common themes that are running through the book with regards to some of these moral issues you're talking about. So I'm, I, I just finished a, a chapter where, where John um, has was approached by a student who started asking him all sorts of questions and talking about how um, there are you know, certain people that can be entrusted to take care of the world and provide for everyone else. And, uh, you know, to me, it's uh, the way I'm reading it is it sounds like the student's talking a lot about kind of the communist movement that started happening in Europe. Um, so it, it, uh, was there a reason why you, you chose not necessarily to, to mention, you know, the specific word of... Um, say communism in that case it's, it seems kind of like it's it's a it's an underlying thing and the reader has to figure it out it is uh and i think as the as the book progresses um those things are mentioned uh communism uh various forms of fascism um but the book one of the things the story tries to do is plumb even go a little deeper than that what's what's beneath all that uh and some of the things that uh, are plumbed in the book are what what is a person's view of the human person? Um, what is this materialistic philosophy that seems to underlie both both communism and fascism? Um, a kind of scientific materialism that discounts individuals and looks at grand programs and grand plans and master races and all the rest of that. So. So that, that, those ideas are, are very much embedded in the, in the book, but uh, I also w was trying to create a suspenseful story around that uh, so that people could also enjoy the story as story and also maybe, uh, to the extent of their interest, delve into some of these ideas and ideologies as well. Uh, but they do pervade the book throughout. Well, it's 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 fantastic the way you did it because it just uh, it it sneaks up on you, and then you kind of realize something's off with what this character's saying. I don't necessarily agree with it, and and you, so you have your main character kind of providing some some rebuttals uh, to keep the reader on track. But it's it's nice because it's so subtle that you really do have to think um, and, and reason your way through the book. And I think you did a fantastic job with that. Well, thank you, thank you. I. I I worked hard on, 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 on trying to present these ideas in such a way that, uh, to a certain extent, myself and the reader could step back and listen to some of these dialogues and, and, and have them provoke some questions in our own minds and hearts. Now, there's also 
people that John encounters during the course of his exploring, and you, you mentioned it earlier, and, and you know, it's there's some fairly prominent people that he seems to kind of come up against or, or ask for some advice. So is, is there a particular reason why you chose um, some of these famous people? I don't know if we can, can, can we reveal a couple of the people that he, he meets up with? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably be a little coy about that. Um, but I think that as people uh, delve into it, uh, they will recognize all or some of those characters, I believe. And it's a little bit like peeling an onion, too. Um, uh, some people may peel it a little bit more than others. Uh, I chose those characters. Getting back to one of those puzzle pieces I was talking about, Nick, I, I've, been, I've learned a lot and I've been formed myself by a number of, of people in the 20th century that sort of, uh, as, as they've said, stood at the crossroads of history and yelled stop to a certain extent, um, and uh, at least stop in terms of these crooked or dark ideas that uh, had such a devastating effect on the 20th century. So I chose those characters, and I, I didn't name them for a couple of reasons, or at least I didn't fully identify them for a couple of reasons. They were a big challenge. I wanted to make them true to their historical counterparts, but I wanted to have the freedom to take these characters in some new directions, not directions that were contrary uh, to the uh, historical counterparts of these characters, but directions that uh, maybe uh, allowed them to participate in the story more fully, if I could say it that way. Um, great literary figures, um, I think that uh, people who uh, are fans of J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, I think they would uh, quite possibly enjoy the story. Uh, there are others um, that do appear um, as the story progresses. Uh, and, and that was perhaps one of the greatest challenges I had, too, um, was working with those characters and recognizing that there are a lot of people out there that, that have read a lot about these characters and have read their works. And so uh, a lot of the readers of this story are quite likely to have a keen sense for who these people were. So I had to be as careful as I could, and I had to uh, do as much homework as I could with those characters. Well, I, I thought about that as I, was, as I was reading through a couple of the chapters, and, and uh, he interacts with... Uh, um, so some of those characters that you that you mentioned and um and I thought man boy you you, you really did your research so was that the, what was was that uh kind of a really challenging but fulfilling point to to get into the mind of some of these historical figures it was very challenging um it was very i, I had a, a genuine affection for a lot of these characters i'd read a lot about them and i'd read a lot of their works and so i had a real affection for them so i i I was determined that uh, ultimately it's up to the reader to determine whether or not I did a good job in representing these characters, but I was determined to do the best job that I could because I felt I owed the historical counterparts of these characters that. Now, you also are, are in a way, a, a little coy with the names of these characters in the book. You don't necessarily reference them by their official historical name at least initially you kind of have to discover who the person is is that is that an intentional uh, device that you used that was intentional um that was something that i was determined to do from the very beginning 
Um, I, uh, I mentioned that one of the other puzzle pieces uh, here in putting the story together is my, my love for, for the mystery genre, and especially the golden age of mystery, what I call the golden age, what other people have back in the 1920s and 30s and early 40s. And uh, so one of the things I tried to do was, was very much layer this story with mysteries. Um, some are big. Uh, I think there's a central mystery in the story that's, that's big that I hope will produce an aha type of moment at some point in time, either sooner or later. But there are probably another half dozen or so other mysteries that are just inserted here and there in the story. And uh, I enjoy mystery stories. I like being surprised. And so I tried to, to do that uh, for the reader. Well, it's certainly an, an incredible mystery story so far, and I've really been enjoying it. Now, one, one of the other things that um, I always like about books that provide mysteries is, is there's always some, some hidden things on the cover. So I thought I, I'd ask, there, there is, it looks like some script on the cover around the border. Is, that, uh, is there some meaning there? Um, and maybe I should do a little bit of homework myself and see if I can decipher it. Well, the uh, the cover, I have to tell you, Nick, the cover was uh, was developed um, by an artist um, who, uh, Daniel Mitsui, and he had read the book. Um, I believe he enjoyed the book quite a bit, but he read it. And he uh, created that cover out of the contents of the book. And I am just delighted with the work that Daniel did. In, in creating that cover, because you make an excellent point. It, it has a lot of different elements in it, all of which have some connection with the story. And uh, we've all seen books on the shelf occasionally where you look at the cover and you read the book and you say, well, okay, uh, but I'm not sure how the two are connected. This, this, uh, the more I look at the cover, the more I uh, marvel at the the, the really artistic work that uh, Daniel did on it. Well, the name of the book is called Toward the Gleam, and we're talking with Tom Duran. Um, now, before we finish up, do you have, because um, this is a great book, and, and I'm going to probably get a number of reads out of it. So, um, but, but what I really want to know is when's your next book coming out? Well, I'm working, uh, I'm well along on another story, and uh, in one sense it's very different than this, uh, than Toward the Gleam because it's more of a modern story. But in another sense, it's very similar in that uh, everything I write ultimately explores meaning, purpose, friendship, sin, consequences, um, you know, all those sort of deep things. Um, and so I'm, I'm working to finish it up, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be published someday. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for writing this, this great book. You're welcome, Nick. Could I, could I mention that uh, there's a wonderful website that Ignatius Press has developed, Toward the Gleam, that's one word, dot com. And for people who are so inclined, uh, there are Kindle and Nook editions, and an audio book is being produced, which I happen to be uh, listening to right now, and the uh, and Kevin O'Brien's done a wonderful job. Wow! So there's there's multiple different forms uh, to get it. So there's no excuse to not read this book. <laughs> I guess. Not. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tom, and and we really appreciate it.
It's been my pleasure, Nick. Thank you for talking to me about the I triple dog dare you. No, before this is over, I'm going to need a whole lot of serious therapy. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Is there no one on this planet to even challenge me? Well, a big thank you yet again to uh, Tom Doran for his time in uh, doing an interview about his book. Um, the Catholic Challenge this week, you have two. First is, go out and take a look at this book. Uh, if you have a Kindle, you can download a sample chapter from the Amazon Kindle store. And second is, if you've read this book, um, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Or if uh, you would just like to give us some feedback, you can call us at our feedback line. It's 631-PRAYING, P-R-A-Y-I-N-G. That's 631-772-9464. So we actually have some feedback from a a listener that we'll get to a little bit later. And you can uh, give us some feedback as well by calling that number, 631-PRAYING. And uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. And uh, we really hope that you can go out and, and take a look at that book. Good evening. Here is the news for Paris. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Pay attention to me, boy. I'm not just talking to hear my head roar. You guys, you guys, great news. Rudolph, Santa Claus is coming to town. The little drummer boy, they're all on TV this week. So some interesting news this week. Uh, first off, you know, the, the, um, the World Youth Day is coming up very, very quickly here. And as part of it, I saw a, a great article that I guess the Pope is actually getting his own comic uh, for World Youth Day. So there is a, uh, a man by the name of Jonathan Lynn, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and uh, presented a cover of a manga comic to um, a, well, on a press conference in, in Madrid. So he's created this, this comic in kind of the manga style that is uh, all about the Pope, and it's called Habemus Papam. So if you're interested in that, you can read a lot more about it. There's a really great write-up about it at the uh, Catholic News Service. So you can see some uh, information about that in the show notes. And you can find those on InBetweenSundays.com. Second, uh, and uh, I've not gotten a chance to see this, but St. Peter's Square and the Vatican was on the Today Show. So this was just recently. There was um, uh, the, the uh, Matt Lauer and... Al Roker, I guess, went to Rome and did a, a two-day film or two-day shoot there and looked through the Vatican and uh, it's been on TV and I've, I've had some co-workers tell me about it and some other friends tell me about it. I have not gotten a chance to see it. So if anybody knows there's a way I can get an archive of it online, maybe on Hulu or something like that, I would love to see this. So um, in, in case you're interested, uh, Archbishop Dolan was the host and so he took of course, Archbishop Dolan is the, the head of the Archdiocese of New York, and he took them on a, a tour of St. Peter's and um, basically gave a whole explanation of St. Peter's and explained how St. Peter's started as the tomb of St. Peter, the first pope. 
So he, I guess he took them all around uh, the Vatican and did a a really great tour. So I'm really interested. uh, I'd like to see that, see if, um, you know, just kind of see what what was on the show. So if anybody knows how to find that or take a look at it, I'd I'd love to see it. So pass that information on. You can either email us. You can email us at feedback at inbetweensundays.com or, or call us, 631-PRAYING. Finally, um, I know Paul Camerata of the SyncCast would, will be excited to hear this. There is a, uh, a new canonization process that has begun for the first American Opus Dei priest. So, of course, Opus Dei is the organization that uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva put together. And there was a, an incredible video, uh, movie that was done called There Be Dragons that, uh, that came out in the theaters just recently about the, the, uh, the life of St. Jose Maria. So this cause for canonization is for Father Jose Luis, and I'm going to mess up his last name, it's Musquiz, and was opened in the Archdiocese of Boston on the 2nd of June. And so he is um, go- undergoing a, a cause for canonization. So he came to the United States at the request of St. Jose Maria in 1949, to start Opus Dei's work in uh, in the United States. So if that's something interesting, uh, you can take a look for at the article um, on Catholic Vote, and uh, that link is also in the show notes. So that is your news for the week. The more contact I have with humans, the more I learn. What? Hello, fire department. I just called to let you know that I am a bomb, and I'm about to blow up! Whoops. Cancel that. It's too late. If there's ever anything that you need, don't call me. Hello? The check is in the mail! And this week we had some great feedback from a new listener. And uh, I had a question. Well, first of all, I wanted to say that um, this is my first time listening to the show. I uh, was browsing on iTunes and I typed in the word Catholic to see what would come up as far as podcasts, and that's how I found out about your show. Awesome job, you know. Uh, Thank you. I listened to the first uh, In Between Sunday singles episode today, and I really liked it a lot, and uh, I I think I'll be listening to the past episodes as well pretty soon. So my question was, um, you know, as Catholics, you know, we pray to you know Mother Mary and and uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe in the Hispanic culture. But uh, I don't understand exactly why we call her um, Guadalupe. So I don't know if you guys could like talk about it on the show or you know something like that. All right. Well, thanks for listening and. Once again, great job on the show. Well, thank you very much for the feedback. And that was actually from, I think it was Betsy, I think is her name. It was hard to, to make that out. But um, yeah, the the Feast of the Virgin uh, Our Lady of, of Guadalupe. Um, that is a fantastic question. And what I would like to do is point you over to looking up uh, St. Juan Diego and... Um, I believe the Saint Cast had a a show about him. I'm going to look that up and see. Here we got um, 
I believe it was Syncast episode number 33. Let me see here. This is where Paul talks about the doctors of the church. I'm not sure if he really covers Juan Diego. I think that was where he talks about saints in the calendar. But I think I may have found the answer to your question. So um, I just did a, a quick search. Now, if, if I'm wrong, um, please, I, I'm, we have plenty of listeners that will call in and correct me. So please, if, I, if I'm wrong, let me know. But um, from what I understand, that uh, some believe that Our Lady, when she appeared to Juan Diego, used an Aztec word that's pronounced Cuatalusupe. Uh, Cuatalasupe, I think is what the way it's said. So um, now, I'm not a Spanish speaker, so I could be pronouncing that completely wrong. But it sounds a lot like the Spanish word Guadalupe. Um, so the in in the the word the Aztec word, if you break it down, has words that mean serpent and to crush or stamp out. So uh, as we see in the uh, the Guadalupe picture. You know, Mary is, of course, standing on top of a serpent crushing his head. So it makes sense that that name would have come from that. And um, it, it's so, so you know, and that she would have maybe used this this kind of this word from, um, from Aztec. So uh, that is at least one theory as to where the name came from. Um, but apparently in doing some internet searching, the... Uh, the name, the name has always been a little bit of, of, of a controversy because um, people haven't really been able to point out the uh, the origins of the name. So if anyone out there is listening and knows more about this than I do, which um, is not very much, I don't know that much about it, so uh, please call in. You can uh, reach us 631-PRAYING and uh, leave me some feedback and let me know uh, what you think and if uh, that truly is where it came from. And, well, that brings us up to the end of our show. And uh, I would just like to say thank you very much once again for taking the time to listen to the show. I'm totally humbled that even one person downloads the show and listens to it, let alone um, a few more than that. So um, if you, if what uh, we said today makes you mad or makes you glad, please let us know. Or if you have a good topic for a show please give us a call, 631-PRAYING-772-9464 or email us at feedback at inbetweensundays.com. And uh, don't forget to check out our homepage. Go to inbetweensundays.com. You can find us also on Facebook. And you can find other incredible podcasts. If you list like this one and you're looking for other podcasts about Catholic topics, go to sqpn.com and you can find those there. So, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. God bless. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.